Welcome to another episode of the Center of the Van, a leadership podcast where the goal is to help you find your leadership zone, that place where everything comes together and your leadership just becomes authentically you. Now, we do that by evaluating various concepts of leadership through three distinct lenses. The first one is your spiritual formation and the scriptural support for leadership. The second is the academic theory and our understanding of human behavior within the context of leadership. And then finally, the practical experience that we all bring to our organizations and just the methods that we use in our leadership, as well as those of great leaders that have gone before us. Now, as we talk through this, it's important to remember that this is not a prescription for leadership or a how-to podcast. This is a process to discover where these three lenses overlap for you. My name is Craig Griffin, and real quick, if you are new to this podcast, make sure that you click subscribe and you'll receive updates twice a month. Or, or if you're tuning back in for uh, the second or the third or multiple times, obviously you're coming back for a reason. So it may be time to share this podcast with others. Invite your friends, your family, your coworkers into this leadership journey with you. Now, just a quick recap on the last episode. We, we talked about the idea of confrontation and that all leaders must know how to uh, manage confrontation well. And we covered the eight things to consider as you were facing these tough conversations. And if you didn't get a chance to uh, tune in, make sure you go back to the library, pull that one down, and go through that at a different time. So let's get started uh, on today's topic how to build high-performing teams. I probably should start by telling you about my first introduction to working as a team. And I should preface this by saying, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I remember being in school and I would read in the syllabus or the professor would announce that there was a team assignment or a group project. And in that moment, my head just began to ache my energy crashed, my anxiety set in. I even developed a theory on who would create such a crazy idea that somehow we needed to be team oriented and that school was the best place to train young minds. Never really realizing that all of us hated the idea. And we all hated the team projects for the same reasons. I always felt like I could do this by myself. I don't really need to be held up by team members who may not be reliable, they may be passive in their approach to it, they may not have the same work ethic as I do, or maybe they just want to bully their way through the project and it turns out to be a work uh, that they've done on their own and didn't really engage the group. They may not be as capable uh, or just the idea of trying to coordinate you know, five or six schedules around an opportunity to meet and work on the project was just a pain in the rear, so I'd just rather do it myself. Now, if we're not careful, we can allow these same reasons to interfere with our ability to create high-performing teams in our organizations. Today, we'll hopefully give you some ideas on how to help your teams navigate these situations. 
So let's jump in and at least acknowledge the reality of our sort of pandemic situation, at least as it relates to the teams uh, and, and our team members. Now, we have some unique challenges and perhaps even some opportunities as it relates to these teams. The skillful management of teams that you've developed over the years will need some tweaking as we adapt those teams to what I call distant engagement. Now, our teams are scattered. They're working from home offices. They are now juggling homeschooling while trying to maintain full effort and attention on the vocation and the work at hand. The, the job in front of them may actually look much different than the job behind them. They're trying to find the rhythm in their day and to get everything done and not go crazy in the process. The world is likely forever changed uh, and that may require them to take on new challenges and to break through some silos that they had grown comfortable with. For some, it's going to feel like wearing a wool sweater on a hot summer day and it's our job as leaders to understand that and to help them adapt. There are some key uh, takeaways with our new disconnected team I'd like to cover with you. The first is we just need to recognize the anxiety your team and your team members may be experiencing in this shifting time. It's incredibly important to be sensitive to that as you're working with your teams. The next thing is that isolation can set in quickly when you're separated by space. Team members can begin to feel like they're on an island. And that means communication becomes key. And as leaders, we always say, communicate, communicate, communicate. Well, it becomes imperative in a disconnected uh, environment. We as leaders need to communicate to the point of exhaustion. And when we get there, we're probably only halfway uh, to communicating effectively. The other thing is uh, use technology and the tools around you to bridge that gap. Use video conferencing as much as possible. People like to see each other. We are social creatures. We like to be engaged. Uh, we like to interact with each other and simple uh, telephone or email communication falls flat and it fails to truly socialize the team and that socialization is really critical. The next thing is to make sure you create a light tone for some of your meetings. Lighthearted meetings can still be highly productive, but it really goes a long way towards making people feel comfortable. And in fact, it can even serve as sort of a bridge for some of the water cooler type conversations that are so necessary. And then lastly, remember to highlight team members and projects and contributions. Sometimes we can lose sight of how hard other team members are working. And when they're out of sight and out of mind in this new disconnected world, we can almost feel like nobody's working as hard as we are. And that develops a sense of contempt for others. And so making sure that you're bringing everybody into the meetings, you're highlighting what they're working on, you're highlighting their accomplishments, will really give everyone on the team an appreciation for how hard we are all working. Because the truth is, Everyone is working hard, but we don't always see it in our disconnected world. The good news is that the art and even the science of team building is the same, whether you are physically connected or socially distant. 
The skills that outlined here will benefit you in every environment. The difference may be in the effort needed to maintain that sense of connectedness and to ward off the feeling of isolation. And the leader is the one who plays such a pivotal role in making sure that those teams stay connected. And so I wanna start with the role of the leader as it relates to teams. It, it really starts with a simple realization that servant leadership is fundamental to leading teams. A leader of teams must be humble. Servant leaders, they will always make the best team leaders. And if you go back and evaluate high performing teams, you will always find a servant leader at the helm. They, they just seem to realize that their focus is on the team and their efforts should be to ensure the team is successful. They seem to adopt a posture of service to the team and be willing to do the blocking and tackling for the team. And in football teams, they, they clear the way for the position players. And so leaders, you need to be that offensive line. You need to be out there blocking so that your position players can uh, just be wildly successful. The next thing is focus on the people. John Katzenbach and Douglas Smith wrote in their book, The Wisdom of Teams, Leaders simply need to believe in their purpose and their people. And I want to underscore that last part. Leaders simply need to believe in their people. Next on the uh, responsibility of the leader is to develop a compelling and challenging reason for the team. High performing teams don't necessarily thrive with easy missions. Softball tasks, uh, do nothing really to galvanize the team and your team tends to lose interest uh, pretty quickly. Now, in reflection, one of the reasons why I hated team projects in school was that the project wasn't really challenging enough to require the efforts of a full team. I was generally able to complete it by myself so the team became a barrier. Make sure that the mission is challenging and that it requires the full effort of the team and it stretches the team and that in turn will begin to build this cohesion within the team as they begin to rely on each other for their own success. And then lastly, know and understand the stages a team goes through before you begin. Leading them through these phases will set them up for success. And now those phases themselves are well studied. This has been a, a focus of group and team dynamic uh, study for quite some time. And the one thing is true is that all teams go through these same phases. The first is the forming phase and forming teams around a shifting environment of objectives and priorities is a critical phase. And when we begin forming the teams, it's important that we're thinking about the roles on the team and we're considering the diversity of skills and experiences that will be necessary to hit this new target. This diversity should represent what I call an interdisciplinary approach to make sure that you have enough perspectives in the room. And while you might not be able to include every stakeholder, you want to make sure that their interests are represented by the team that you've assembled. The other part of forming a team is making sure that you recognize the strengths, the skills, and the personalities that you're putting on the team. Now, if your organization uses something like an Enneagram assessment to understand your team members, you'll appreciate why you might not want a team of all eights on 
uh, one team or a team of all command and control and competitive skill sets on a team because you're probably not going to get a lot of work done. You want to make sure that you have helpers and achievers, investigators and peacemakers on the team in order to be well-rounded and positioned for success. Now, the next stage is the storming uh, stage. And this is an equally important phase. You need to be careful not to underestimate this phase as it can cause severe delays in your progress and could even result in a non-functioning team. Make no mistake, this phase is unavoidable. It will happen with or without your hands on the wheel. And it's important not to assume that individuals that may have worked together before or have experience with each other or just simply know each other will somehow be able to avoid this phase when joining a new team. The storming phase is going to happen. So let's define this phase just a little bit because it's commonly mistaken and misunderstood. The storming phase is where individuals navigate each other's roles on the team not just their role or their skill set that they represent, but the personality traits behind the person. Who will be the strong-willed challenger? Who is the one that will want to dig into the details? Who will acquiesce to the team and everything the team wants to do and really not contribute uh, in a meaningful way? Who will be the dreamer? Everyone will naturally kind of jockey for position as they begin to feel out the field. This phase uh, may even come with some tension and anxiety, but it's tension and anxiety that the leader can help to avoid. So here are uh, a couple of things that a leader can do to bring their team through the storming phase and actually prepare them for success. The first one is to consistently affirm the qualities that everyone brings to the team. Now, you form the team with these qualities in mind and you want to affirm them publicly so that everybody gets a sense of where they belong on the team. The next is to actively facilitate meetings in a way that brings out the traits that you see in each person. And then assign tasks that are aligned with what I call the meta traits of the individual. So not just necessarily the skills, but leveraging those personality things that are underneath the skills that are going to make them a great member of the team. Uh, Fourth in line is using your early meetings to draw out those roles as you see each person playing on your team will help everybody else to understand their place and the strengths and how those align to the mission. Facilitate the conversation in a way that ensures that adequate storming takes place in the open and not in the dark. And then uh, lastly, on the storming uh, phase, create opportunities to socialize the team. This is an essential part of helping them through the storming phase and will lead to better team cohesion, which is necessary for them to be high performing. The next phase is the norming phase. And this is where you begin to set the standards for operation, how the team will perform. It's the intentional communication as to the norms in which each team member will adhere. This could be meeting schedules, it could be attendance requirements, communication methods, assignment accountability, or perhaps even collaboration expectations. 
And by setting the norms, you will help to limit the tension within the team. The next phase is the performing phase, and this is the goal that all other phases point toward. This is the phase where real work gets done and we begin to see the team cohesion as they harness their diverse skills and perspectives and personalities to accomplish something larger than any of the individuals on the team could have ever done alone. We can now begin to measure their success as we drive them to becoming the high performing team we need them to be. Now, here's a little bonus phase and I call it the celebrating phase. And while it's not an official phase, it is critical to your team's energy and cohesion and future performance. So make sure not to skip out on the opportunity to celebrate individuals and the team as a group, both publicly and privately. You really can't overdo this uh, important piece of the team building because it just reinforces your faith and your trust and your encouragement for the team itself. Now there is an adjourning phase and this is the final phase of all of them. And uh, we need to understand that uh, teams need to come to an end of the mission eventually and they need to be able to shift into new opportunities. And we as leaders need to be careful not to allow our team to go past the initial objectives and become stagnant and bored because then that's their lasting memory of the team that they were on and that's not going to be helpful for future teams. So remember the tip uh, back in the forming phase when we talked about making sure the vision was clear and compelling and challenging? Well, the adjourning phase is recognizing that we're past that and we need to either uh, dissolve the team, reassign the team, or create a new, compelling, clear, and challenging vision for the team to go after next. So those are the phases a team will go through. And now that we have talk through the academic theory and even the practical examples of how to approach this topic, let's jump into the uh, scriptural support. Now, Jesus modeled how to navigate the phases of group and team dynamics well before anyone had ever studied the topic. And we can take a look at these phases and find them in scripture. They're pretty clear. In Mark 3, 13 through 19, we can see where Jesus is forming his team. He selected men that brought a diversity of thought and experiences, and he uh, hand-selected them just for that reason. Now, the next part is the storming phase, and we can see where that is captured in Luke 22, 24 through 30. And we see here that the apostles are arguing over who is going to be the greatest. And Jesus stepped in to coach them through this phase by telling them, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. And then we also see in Matthew 23, 11, where he says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Remember, the storming phase is all about your team jockeying for position and trying to sort out the various roles and personalities. And as a leader, you can help them through that process. Then we see Jesus helping with the norming phase in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is what's known as the Lord's Prayer, but when I read it through the lens of leadership, I see it's actually Jesus creating a standard or a norm for his team to follow. And then on to the performing phase. We can find that in Matthew uh, 28. We find the Great Commission to be the ultimate performing phase where Jesus trusted the apostles with an incredible gift, his bride, the church. 
They were empowered and commissioned to create the greatest organization ever. So now let's put that all together. Jesus picked his team. He equipped them. He cast an inspiring and challenging vision. He sacrificed for them. He built trust with them. He modeled what he wanted from them. He empowered them. And then he trusted them with a precious gift, his bride, the church. This is Jesus modeling perfect leadership. Now, I think about the legendary golfer Payne Stewart when I think about leading teams. And Payne made the WWJD bracelet famous back in his day. What would Jesus do? Uh, and so I think about it in terms of what would Jesus do if he were here coaching me on how to lead a team. And that's why I always point back to uh, those passages and the idea that Jesus did just such an incredible job of modeling what it's like to put together a high-performing team. Now, as I said in the beginning, there is a lot to unpack here. We may even have to come back to teamwork in future podcasts and take on individual aspects of it. But I want to wrap it up here uh, for today. I don't know about you, but I am equal parts overwhelmed and encouraged after talking through this. There is just so much to think about, but it is uh, so awesome when you see your teams thriving and just crushing it. So just as we wrap here, don't forget to subscribe if you're new, uh, share it if you've been here for a while. I hope that you find that it was time well spent my goal, after all, is to add value to your leadership journey. So be well, live well, and lead well. I will talk to you soon.